Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. So we're in the middle of an Advent sermon series. Advent being the season that leads up to Christmas. It's the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. And we're talking about common words, common words that we hear bandied around in our culture a lot at this time of year. Words that are also the themes of the candles that we're lighting each Sunday as well as we prepare to meet Jesus this Christmas. They're peace and hope and love and joy. And in week one, Chris Warner spoke about hope. And he talked about how hope for Christians isn't like making a wish and then just hoping for the best but rather it's having full assurance that Jesus is coming back and that we will share eternal life with him. Then last week, we looked at peace and how it's only once we give our lives to Jesus and we're set free from captivity to sin that we find true peace, that shalom that we talked about, wholeness and completeness in our lives. Well, this week, we come to the theme of joy, the pink candle that we just lit. And I wonder what it is that brings you joy in this life. Stop and think for a moment. What are the things that bring you true joy in this life? Maybe it's your team scoring the winning points in a tight game, right? It's amazing when that happens. You're probably jumping up and down. Or maybe it's seeing your child or your grandchild perform in a play or a sport. Maybe it's savoring the perfect meal at your favorite restaurant, perhaps spending quality time with good friends. Perhaps it's watching your favorite movie for the 10th time or the 100th time. Or maybe it's an exciting new show you've just discovered on Netflix. Maybe it's completing a project that you've been working on for weeks or months or even years, and then it's finally done. Perhaps it's helping someone who has no way to help themselves. Maybe it's seeing someone you love restored to health. Maybe it's hearing a particular piece of music or poetry that you just love. Perhaps it's witnessing a spectacular sunrise or sunset. Or at this time of year, maybe it's just watching the expression of a loved one open their gifts on Christmas Day. You know, these are all things that bring me great joy, and there are many more. And these are all really good things, but they're actually just a really small taste of the joy that all those who choose to follow Jesus, will one day experience in the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, it's the joy that's going on right now in heaven as we meet today. And how do I know this? Well, it's because of what we read in our scriptures today. Yes, they reveal that there is a party going on in heaven right now. Jesus is, just, is he's declaring that heaven's having a great noisy party every time that someone sees the light and they begin to follow him. And he's implying that we can experience this kind of joy on earth too, even in the midst of great suffering and disappointment. In fact, continual joy is the hallmark of the Christian life. Continual joy is the hallmark of the Christian life. So let's turn to our gospel reading for today and see what he would say to us through his word. Now the context of today's gospel reading, you can find it on the insert if you want to follow along. Uh, The context of the reading from Luke is that Jesus is, as per usual, he's being confronted by his opponents. He's being confronted by the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers of the day. And they're upset because 
He hangs out with the, the sinners in society, right? He's hanging out with people who collaborate with the pagan Roman Empire. That's the tax collectors. He's hanging out with loose women, prostitutes. He's hanging out with the sick. He's hanging out with the needy. And it's likely that they're also frustrated by the amount of joy that he seems to experience while doing it. I get the sense that when someone invited Jesus over to their home, a sinner, it wasn't just a, um, let's say, a lecture in their home. It was a party that was going on around the table as well. And they're frustrated, aren't they? See, religion to them is following the rules, just following the rules and keeping oneself well clear of anything that looks remotely sinful or unclean and looking down on those who do, who those who actually go near those things. They make even the Puritans look like guilty criminals. And so Jesus tells them two stories. He tells them a couple of what we call parables. And in each parable, we discover that something valuable has been lost. First of all, we discover a sheep's been lost. And then second, we discover that a silver coin has been lost. And these are valuable objects. A sheep wasn't a cheap possession for your typical Israelite person. And the silver coin was likely from a necklace or a headband given to this woman on her wedding day, and not something that she could afford to lose. It was of great value. Think of losing your wedding ring, something my wife will tell you I've done way too many times to count, (laughs) or losing your cell phone even, which I did twice in one day just this past week. These are things you cannot afford not to search for, right? You're not going to go, oh, well, never mind. It's like this for these people. And so both the shepherd and the woman began to search thoroughly for what they've lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep he cares for, and some of us think, well, that's, that's a little bit dangerous, isn't it, leaving them on their own? But he's probably leaving them in the hands of a younger assistant or maybe another shepherd that he, he works with, and then off he goes. And the woman gets out her lamp, and she gets down on her hands and her knees, and she starts to sweep this dark and dusty room for the coin that's probably buried in the dirt on these earthen floors that she would have had. And they've no idea if they're going to find these things, but they are not going to give up easily. These things are too precious for them. Imagine losing your child at the grocery store, perhaps something that most of us can relate to at one time or another, right? We lose that child. And imagine if we just said, oh, well, I've got another one at home. <laughs> you know, the Hamlins can do that, right? I've got another one. It's all right. We've got a few more. It's okay, right? You just don't do that, right? And it's the same for them. No, they mustn't stop until they find this thing. I think Stan's a little bit worried. <laughs> they mustn't stop until they find them. <laughs> well, eventually they find, don't they? They find what they've lost. And how do they feel? Well, they feel just like you and me when we find our wedding ring, our cell phone, or even that lost child. There's this huge sense of relief that comes over them. And there's this incredible sense of joy, joy. What was lost is found, and it brings them and us such joy that we cannot contain it. We want to share the news with our spouse. We want to share it with our kids, our friends, our neighbors, whoever will listen. And so we run to the next room. We run to the next house. We pick up the phone, or we get on Facebook, and we share what's happened so that others can celebrate with us so that others can experience the same joy that we're experiencing. And so the shepherd tells his fellow villagers, his friends, and his neighbors, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. And the woman calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the, co- the coin that I had lost. And it's good news. So they likely throw a party, right? They cook a meal, they crack open a bottle of wine, and they celebrate. They celebrate what's been found. 
But what's the point that Jesus is trying to make in these stories? What's he trying to show the Pharisees and anyone else who will listen? Well, Jesus makes it pretty clear what it's about. It's about what happens when a sinner repents, when a lost soul returns to God, when someone who's walking away from Jesus turns around and walks back to him with, into his open arms. And notice who the initiator is in each of these stories. It's the shepherd and the woman, right? They represent God in each parable while we're represented by the sheep and the coin. So it's God who comes after us when we fall away. It's God who chases us down when we're running away. It's God who seeks us out when we don't want to be found. This is his amazing grace that we just sung about. We may reject him. We may tell him that we know better. We may even deny that we know him, and yet he does not give up on us. His love is unfailing. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in her wonderful Jesus Storybook Bible, which I know many of you have for your kids, but it's also for grown-ups who'll listen. She puts it this way, God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That's his love. But you know, these stories are also about the joy that's experienced in heaven when someone returns to God. And it's hard for us to comprehend what this joy is like because none of us has ever been there, right? But the next story in this chapter gives us a taste. Now, you might look on your scripture sheet, but I'm afraid it's not there. It's not there. The next story is not there. But perhaps you've heard of it. It's the story of the prodigal son. Remember the son who, who comes back to his father eventually, but first of all, he says, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. And then off he goes and he squanders it in loose living. He ends up, you know, throwing it all away. And eventually he ends up in the filth of a pig pen before he finally comes to his senses and decides, you know what? I'm going to go back and face the consequences of my father's wrath and plead on his mercy. But instead, he's greeted, isn't he, by the sight of his dad running towards him with open arms, so glad to see him. He throws on new clothes on him. He decides he's going to throw a party for him for the whole town to come out and celebrate because his son who was lost is found. And it's a beautiful picture of what's happening in heaven today as another person turns from their self-centered ways and becomes God-centered. As another person lays down their idols of success, of fame, of money, sex, image, or control, and then worships God alone and discovers the joy of trusting someone else to lead them. It's the joy that comes from knowing the mercy of Jesus that we read about in today's epistle reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. What does it say? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. This you rejoice. In all of this, we rejoice. Yes, joy is not just found in heaven, but here on earth for any person who's found by God. When we encounter the mercy of Jesus in his forgiveness of sins, we experience true joy. When we meet him in the cross and the resurrection, we rejoice at what's been achieved for us and that we could never, ever achieve by our own efforts. 
And we celebrate because of the joy that we'll one day experience when we meet Jesus face to face on the last day. It's interesting that while our world defines joy as simply a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, that's what you'll discover in a dictionary, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, the scriptures define it as something very different. Pastor Rick Warren sums up this definition well when he writes this. Joy is the settled assurance that God's in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Let me repeat that. Joy is the settled assurance that God's in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Yes, there is pleasure in joy, and yes, there's happiness. Christians are not the new Pharisees, trust me. But you can also experience joy without either of these things, much like you can experience happiness without joy. After all, what was it that Sheryl Crow famously wrote? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Thank you, someone knows Sheryl Crow, all right. (laughs) If it makes you happy, then... Why the hell are you so sad? She understood, didn't she? You can have happiness without joy. Well, in the second half of our reading from 1 Peter 1, we see this kind of continual joy described by the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Peter, as he writes this. In this you rejoice. We've already heard that, right? But he goes on. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yes, true joy is something that survives and is even strengthened when it's tested by trials uh, such as persecution or suffering. That's how we know that it's more than just a feeling, that it's lasting joy and not just passing happiness. So are you lost? Have you turned your back on the Lord? Perhaps you're unwilling to submit to his leadership in your life. Maybe you've fallen into a particular sin pattern in your life, and you've drifted away from him. Or maybe because of the struggles that you're going through, you feel like he's actually given up on you. And perhaps no one knows, but you're distant from him like you've never been before. A sure test of this is how much joy you're actually experiencing in your life right now. Is there a quiet confidence? Is there a settled assurance that come what may, everything's going to be okay? You know, the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul by Horatio Spafford comes to mind. Spafford wrote this beautiful hymn after suffering the loss of his children who were all tragically drowned in the middle of the Atlantic as they crossed on a ship. And he wrote it as a testament to the salvation and joy that he found in Jesus through the good and the bad times in his life. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. 
Friends, this is the kind of joy that's available to you if you'll ask God. You see, joy is a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit, freely given to all who will receive it. And our Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to children. I pause to say this, but maybe he's the original Santa Claus, right? Kind of, if you will, just without the magical reindeer, okay, and the works-based theology of giving, lumps of coal, etc. right? He just gives out of grace and mercy, right? He says, ask and you will receive Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. This is his promise to those who believe in him. Or perhaps you're not lost, but you know someone who is. Perhaps someone who's seeking joy in all the wrong places. Someone once wrote these words. Men have pursued joy in every avenue imaginable. Some have successfully found it while others have not. Perhaps it would be easier to describe where joy cannot be found. Not in unbelief. The philosopher Voltaire was an infidel of the most pronounced type. He wrote, I wish I had never been born. Not in pleasure. The poet Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure, if anyone did. And he wrote, the worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Not in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. When dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Not in position and fame, the British Prime Minister, Benjamin Disraeli, enjoyed more than his share of both. And he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret, and not in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day, and having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Where then is real joy found? The answer is simple, in Christ alone. Will you commit to pray for this person and that they will encounter Jesus? Will you reach out to them? Will you share the gospel with them? Will you simply just invite them to join us this Christmas and hear the gospel proclaimed here? You see, maybe it's hard to believe, but there is no greater joy in this life than seeing someone you know and love come to know and love the risen Lord Jesus and then to follow him. Friends, this Christmas and beyond, might we be, all of us, a joy-filled people, celebrating for the right reasons. Might we do as the psalmists say, and shout for joy, all you upright in the heart, Psalm 32. Indeed, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright, Psalm 33. And let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad, Psalm 35. This is our identity, and this is our hallmark. We are a people of joy, even in the most difficult of circumstances, because we know our hope is secure in Jesus Christ, the child born to die, that we might live. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, we ask of you that you would give us your joy. Lord Jesus, where we have become weary, where we have become doubtful, where we have lost hope, would you restore the joy that we once had, the fruit of the Spirit that you offer to us freely, Lord. Would you come that we might be people who live in full assurance that you're in control and that things are going to be okay, come what may. And might we share that joy with others, that those who do not know you, those people in our lives who are lost and need to be found, that they would encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas and that they would come to be a people of joy also. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.